Welcome back to your Therapy Tools. Today's episode is focused on stages of psychosocial development or developmental phases. And I will be basing this off of Eric Erickson's theory. He um, learned Sigmund Freud's psychosexual theory and he based his um, psychosocial developmental theory upon that. So he broadened it and took a lot of the sex out of it. So um, the psychosocial development, it's based on and expanded on Freud's psychosexual theory. Erickson proposed that we are motivated by the need to achieve competence in certain areas of our lives. According to psychosocial theory, we experience eight stages of development over our lifespan from infancy to late adulthood. At each stage, there is a crisis or a task that we need to resolve. Successful completion of each developmental task results in a sense of competence and a healthy personality. Failure to master these tasks leads to feelings of inadequacy. Erickson also added to Freud's stages by discussing the cultural implications of development. Certain cultures may need to resolve the stages in different ways based on their cultural and survival needs. So from birth to 12 months of age, this first stage is called trust versus mistrust. And infants learn that adults can be trusted or cannot be trusted. This occurs when adults meet a child's basic needs for survival. Infants are dependent upon their caregivers. So caregivers who are responsive and sensitive to their infant's needs help their baby to develop a sense of trust. Their baby will see the world as a safe and predictable place. Unresponsive caregivers who do not meet their baby's needs can cause feelings of anxiety, fear, and mistrust. Their baby may see the world as unpredictable. If infants are treated cruelly or abused and their needs are not met, they likely grow up with a sense of mistrust for people in general for the rest of their lives. As a toddler from ages one to three years old, we have autonomy versus shame and doubt. So they begin to explore their world. They learn that they can control their actions and act on their environment to get results. They begin to show clear preferences for certain elements of the environment, such as food, toys, and clothing. A toddler's main task is to resolve the issue of autonomy versus shame and doubt. And this this is by working to establish their independence. This is the me-do-it stage. For example, we might observe a budding sense of autonomy in a two-year-old child who wants to choose her clothes and dress herself. Although her outfits might not be appropriate for the situation, her input in such basic decisions has an effect on her sense of independence. If the child is denied the opportunity to act on their environment, they may begin to doubt their abilities, which could lead to low self-esteem and feelings of shame. Once the children reach the preschool age, three to six years old, 
This is the developmental phase called initiative versus guilt. So they are capable of initiating activities and asserting control over their little world through social interactions and play. And according to Erickson, preschool children must resolve the task of initiative versus guilt by learning to plan and achieve small goals while interacting with other people. Preschool children can master this task. Initiative, a sense of ambition and responsibility, occurs when parents allow the child to explore within limits and then support the child's choice. These children will develop a self-confidence and feel a sense of purpose. Those who are unsuccessful at this stage, with their initiative misfiring and stifled by over-controlling parents, may develop a sense of guilt, which can also lead to a sense of shame, and over the years turns into toxic shame. The next developmental phase is industry versus inferiority. So this is between the ages of 6 and 12 years old. Children face the task of industry versus inferiority. Children begin to compare themselves with their peers to see how they measure up. They either develop a sense of pride and accomplishment in their schoolwork, sports, social activities, hobbies, and family life, or they feel inferior and inadequate because they feel like they don't measure up. If children do not learn to get along with others or have negative experiences at home or with peers, an inferiority complex may develop into adolescent and adulthood years. The next developmental phase is identity versus role confusion. So from the ages of 12 to 18, this is our teenagers. They face the task of identity versus role confusion. And according to Erickson, an adolescent's main task is developing a sense of self. This is a stage where they're trying to figure out who am I and what do I want to do with my life and how do I fit into this world? Along the way, many adolescents try on many different selves to see which one fits the best. They explore various roles and ideas. They go through several different phases. Maybe they're preppy, maybe they're gothic, maybe they're the pick-me girl, maybe they're the quiet, shy nerd. They try on different personas to see which one fits the best. Adolescents who are successful at this stage have a strong sense of identity and they're also able to remain true to their beliefs and values in the face of problems and other people's perspectives. When adolescents are apathetic and do not make a conscious search for their identity or they are pressured to conform to their parents' ideas for the future and how they should be, they may develop a weak sense of self and experience role confusion. They will be unsure of their identity and confused about their future. Teenagers who struggle to adopt a positive role will likely struggle to find themselves as adults. The next stage is the 20s through the early 40s. And this is the stage of intimacy versus isolation. So after we developed a sense of self in adolescence, we're ready to share our life with others. If other stages have not been successfully resolved, young adults might have trouble developing and maintaining successful relationships with other people. 
Erickson said that we must have a strong sense of self before we can develop successful intimate relationships. Adults who do not develop a positive self-concept in adolescence may experience feelings of loneliness, emptiness, and emotional isolation. Generativity versus stagnation. So when we reach our 40s, you get into a time known as middle age, middle adulthood, and this extends to the mid-60s. The social task of middle adulthood is generativity versus stagnation. So generativity involves finding your life's work and contributing to the development of others through activities such as volunteering, mentoring, raising children, creating a nonprofit. Um, during this stage, middle-aged adults begin contributing to the next generation, often through childbirth and for caring for others. <coughs> they also engage in meaningful and productive work, which contributes positively to society. Those who do not master this task may experience stagnation, and they may feel as though they are not leaving a mark on the world in any kind of a meaningful way. They may have little connection with others and little interest in productivity or self-improvement. In other words, they slip into depression. So from the mid-60s to the end of our lives, we are in a period of development that's known as late adulthood, and this is the stage called integrity versus despair. People in late adulthood reflect on their lives and they feel either a sense of satisfaction or a sense of failure. People who feel proud of their accomplishments feel a sense of integrity and they can look back on their lives with few regrets. However, people who are not successful at this stage may feel as if their life has been wasted they focus on would have, should have, could have. They face the end of their lives with feelings of bitterness, depression, and despair. Let's take a quick break and then I'm going to change the subject just a little. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, welcome back. So listening to the stages of development... I'm sure it brought on a lot of different thoughts about your own stages of development. If you have children, you may be thinking, did I help them through their stages of development correctly? Today, I want to focus on teenagers, you and your teenager. If you have a teenager, it's so important for you to understand. Teenagers try on all these personas. They try different fashion styles. They try different makeup styles. They try different tones in their speech. They try different speech patterns. They try on the trendy um, 
the trendy jargon of the day. So whatever, whatever words people are using being trendy, they might pick up on that and use it constantly. I know I, I've noticed myself that a lot of teenagers tend to use abbreviations for words that we used to say the full word for. So a different generation who's older might get confused by, you know, what is this kid trying to say to me? I don't know what IRL means. So, uh, you know, generations have to um, educate ourselves. We have to go and look up what all these abbreviations mean so that we can speak to our teenagers in their own language. It's important as a parent to help teenagers develop their sense of self. It's important to allow them that safe space to explore and figure out who they are and how they fit into this world and what they believe in and what they what they value this helps them to develop um, a few basic boundaries around personal space um, intellectual boundaries maybe uh, financial boundaries it allows them to start to develop some of those healthy boundaries and it allows them to gain that self-confidence and that love for themselves that's healthy, that will propel them into healthy relationships later on. So if you're one of the parents who is constantly criticizing your teenager because you hate the way they dress, or if you're criticizing your teenager because you hate their music, when you tell a teenager they are so in their head, they are so self-conscious and actually self-absorbed. So um, that's just the stage of development they're in. They're trying to figure themselves out. So they're busy in their own head. And when you walk by and tell them their music is awful or the way they dress, they look like a mortician. Um, when you tell them that, you're not giving constructive criticism like you may think you are. You might think you're being helpful by saying, oh my God, don't dress like that. People are going to think you're a freak. Um, take that off and put this on because it looks nicer because I like it. When you tell them that, you're telling them, I don't accept you. Because that's how they take it. They take it as, I am not acceptable to my parents or my family. I am not worthy of love and respect because I'm wearing this outfit. And then, you know, you have the teenage rebellion because they feel more independent and they don't like being told what to do. Remember when you were a teenager, you knew everything. And anybody who was 20 or older was old and had no right to tell you what to do or how to live your life because you knew it all. You had all the answers, right? So they're, they're very stuck in their own head trying to figure themselves out and when they get dressed, when they put on their makeup, when they get dressed, when they choose their accessories, when they choose their playlist of music, when they choose their favorite movies, that's a very personal decision. That's like sharing a piece of themselves with you, a piece of their heart with you. And for you to criticize them and tell them it's unacceptable, it really... It really does damage to their self-esteem and it has them questioning 
you know, if this is what I like and this is how I want to be, but it's not okay, then probably anything else I choose will not be okay. And then they shut down. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to spend time with you because they're tired of hearing all the lectures. So it's really important to, you know, if you're, if you're, if your teenager is wearing clothes that barely cover their private parts, yes, of course, <laughs> put your foot down and say, no, you're naked. You have to put clothes on. You can't go out like that. That's fine. But if your teenager is gothic or if they're going through a phase where they're like, I'm a witch and I'm going to do witchcraft and I'm going to wear pentagrams or if they're going through a phase where they're saying I'm a gangster and I'm going to sag my pants and wear all this gangster stuff. Or if they're like, I'm a sports, I'm a, I'm a finely tuned uh, athletic machine. I'm really into sports and I'm going to wear a Nike tracksuit everywhere I go. Um, Whatever their style, whatever they choose, let them, let them be. Tell them that they are beautiful as a person. If you don't like their clothes, let them know that they are beautiful as a human being and that you think it's awesome that they're trying on all these different styles and how fun it was for you when you were a teenager. And you could even tell them my parents didn't approve and they were rude, but I still had fun, you know, try to connect with your teenagers now, let them know you, they can tell you anything. They can be themselves around you because I guarantee if you don't later on, if they go out and get in trouble, if they get pregnant, if uh, anything happens where you would want them to turn to you first, you'll be the last one they'll call. They'll be terrified to talk to you. They'll say, oh, hell no, I'm not talking to that person. So I wanted to share uh, this, this blog that I wrote with you, um, and it's called Consistency is Key for the Problem Child in Therapy. I can't tell you how many people I get that come to therapy and they complain about their teenager and they want me to wave a magic wand and fix their teenager. Your, your problem child is not the problem. Your whole family is. Your whole family is the problem. There's a lot going on. That kid does not just become a problem all on their own. There are interactions. There's a family dance. So it's important to see your part and to change up your behaviors and your approaches towards the teenager and, and allow them to open up and feel safe to open up to you and talk with you about what they're feeling, what they're thinking They'll allow you to teach them about life, but you have to be accepting and non-judgmental towards them. And I don't know, I, I, you know, parents will say, hey, fix my kid. And I don't hear a lot from the parents. So um, if you want your teenager to truly get help in therapy, you have to be involved in the process. You have to see that therapist too. You have to talk about therapeutic interventions and how you can keep things consistent at home between the therapist's office and your home. And if the therapist can go to their school and talk to the school staff too, that's even better. I have done that more than once and it's a great, great key to creating that consistency in that kid's life so that everybody is lifting them up. Everybody's reminding them, use your skills, use your skills. 
it's way more helpful. So I'm going to read this blog that I wrote. First and foremost, I commend you for recognizing that whatever the situation is, you need to get your child some help because it is, a, it is beyond your ability to fix it. You know your child well enough to know that something is not right and you are seeking help. Notice the key words in that last sentence, seeking help. As a parent, it is never easy to admit that you cannot help your child improve a negative behavior, a habit, or an irrational fear. You may be feeling that you have lost control of your child. You may feel guilty. You may feel like a failure on some level as a parent. You may be fed up with trying because you have tried everything and nothing works. So I'm here to ask you today to let go of the shame and the negative self-talk. It is honorable to ask for help. It takes bravery, intelligence, and a supportive parental love. The stress that you are feeling is normal. It is scary to admit that your child needs more help than you can give. It is scary to think of what others may be saying about you as a parent when you're not around. The stress, anxiety, and self-doubt as a parent is completely normal. Please remember your strengths in this difficult time. Bravery, intelligence, supportive nature, and love above all for your child. Forget the anxiety. Forget the negative self-talk. Forget about what people might say. It's just gossip. It doesn't matter. Who gives a shit what other people think? You are engaging in a good parenting role by bringing your child to therapy. Here's what you can expect during the process. The therapist will interview you alone to learn the history of the symptoms, the stressful events, and all of that that have taken place. The therapist will want to know about any past history of trauma, any concerns you have as a parent, and behaviors that you've observed your child engaging in. The therapist will also want to know what skills or tools you've tried um, using with your child to remedy this behavior. The therapist will then meet with your child and begin to work on a treatment plan that is age appropriate, that observes the developmental stage that they are in, and that is also age appropriate to where they will understand what's going on. Play therapy is most commonly used for children, and it can include painting, playing games, puzzles, telling stories, and this may seem like nothing more than a play date to you. However, the therapist is engaging your child in these activities in such a way that it generates increased self-esteem, processing of emotion, sense of accomplishment, mastery, and while your child is talking and sharing perceptions, they are doing therapy without knowing they're doing therapy, and it feels like play to them. It takes time to build that rapport and earn a child's trust. It takes time to see results at home, and for this to happen, your therapist needs your help. Your child's therapist will meet with you from time to time to give you updates and coach you on methods for handling behaviors and assisting your child in processing feelings at home with you. It is imperative that you use the tools given to you to create that consistency that starts in the therapy room and continues in your home. 
As a therapist, I have met many parents just like you who put in the time and effort to work with their child and with the therapist to observe successful results after creating that consistency. These parents know it is more than a child's issue alone. It is a family issue and change must occur within the family unit to support new and healthy behaviors. This is true of all children of all ages from five, five years old all the way up to 21. It is not advisable, nor will it result in dramatic changes in your child if you drop them off for therapy, never talk to the therapist, and there is no consistency at home. A child of any age cannot fix him or herself. It takes a team effort. Unfortunately, this is all too common with the teen population. Parents never step foot in the therapist's office beyond the initial paperwork and informed consent signature. The teen feels pressured by the parents to make changes when there is no support at home, and this causes more stress and more behaviors in the teen who is now feeling like more of a failure and more of a disappointment than ever. Moreover, it is unacceptable behavior on the parent's part to sit down in the therapist's office and proceed to yell and throw a temper tantrum. It is unacceptable to minimize your teen and disrespect your teen in the safe space of that therapist's office. The therapist will immediately excuse you from session and assist your teen in processing what just happened. Then the therapist, seeing that the parent is not being supportive, will work with your teen on coping mechanisms so that the teen can manage the stress of living with a parent who desperately needs therapy him or herself. The therapist will also attempt to work with the parent, and if the parent is cooperative, the therapist will help the parent to process those feelings and find a better way to regulate emotion in order to have productive conversations. Finally, the therapist will hopefully refer the parent to a therapist or get them on that therapist schedule because it will be obvious that the parent does have a lot of work to do and is not managing stress in a healthy way, which could very well be the influencer on the problem child. So to close, I want to congratulate and send out virtual hugs to all parents who are seeking help and engaging in the process. You are a rock star. And to the parents who throw tantrums and refuse to take part in the healing process of their child or their teen, listen, I know it's not easy. You're exhausted, you're frustrated, you're struggling just as much, if not more, than your child. You cannot deal with this alone. And while I commend you for being a rock star and obtaining help for your child or your teen, I highly recommend you get therapy for you as well because you have some serious healing to do too. So virtual hugs to all parents, and I hope you find peace and healing for yourself and your teen. And remember... The thousand mile journey to healing begins with your first and sometimes your hardest step.